It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Wow, Friday comes fast each week. There's been a lot going on, certainly as farmers are wrapping up harvest in most areas around the country uh, and doing lots of fertility work, tillage work, just getting ready for next year's crop. It's pretty exciting. If you've got questions or you're thinking about something on your farm and just want to talk about it, our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844 844- 44 ag phd you can also email us radio at ag and i got a few emails to get through today too brian where do you want to start uh yeah i guess i don't have any issue with that we can go right to the ag phd mailbag it's the mailbag all right brian so this one comes in from nate he farms about an hour north of us Nate said, we had alfalfa in for four years from uh, 2019 to 2022. Fall of 22, we killed it. Spring of 23, we no-tilled corn into the alfalfa field. And, of course, 2023 was the worst drought that we've had since 2012. Uh, So we did some soil testing out there. Our pH seems to be off. Uh, We never had pH that low on our fields. uh, But we did apply some water treatment lime to it this fall. Good. Uh, it's kind of a bad year to take alfalfa out for how dry it's been. We're going to go back to corn again in 2024. Uh, we did some tillage out there after the lime was applied about five inches deep. Uh, just curious, what do you see on the fertility? Most of our CECs 20 to 25 I'm, in this. I got to be missing something. Is this all the information I have? I just have pH, organic matter, well, Olson phosphorus test, potassium, and zinc. I've got no base saturation. I got. I, I mean, I have no micronutrients. Yeah, well, zinc is on that one, and there are individual sheets. This this is a tough thing, Nate. There's individual sheets. Oh, Darren handed me two sheets. Go ahead. Yeah, there's individual sheets on some of these different micros, so they they are tested. Uh, When you look at, give me one of those then. Give me something. Oh goodness. Why don't you look at the P and the the K? Start with the P and the K. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Okay. Let's start first with the pH. Keep in mind, when it's super dry, then you are most likely going to get readings that are a little lower than normal. We'll usually figure as much as a half a point lower. Could be 0.1, 0.2, but it could be as much as a half a point lower. But yeah, you've got some pHs in the sixes. And this is one of the things, too, to keep in mind for any field, since you mentioned alfalfa, any field you're going to go back to alfalfa with You want to be liming that preferably two to three years in advance so the pH comes up because at a five pH, you can get, you can expect maybe 10% of your normal alfalfa yield. Get that pH up. And granted, I, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of these are actually five and a half to six, but I'm just saying you want that pH up near seven and then you're in a lot better shape. Okay. So. In terms of the phosphorus level, all we, all I've got here is Olson phosphorus test, which is not going to be super accurate in that low pH soil. So that's, I guess, one of my biggest concerns as well, that I don't feel like I have enough information to give you uh, a real great recommendation. Now, this is saying 39 on an Olson test, so it doesn't sound horrible. Would I like it 50 or 80? Sure, I would for a big-time corn yield, but... Uh, it's not horrible, but yeah, I'd be getting some phosphorus out. Your potassium is only at 214 parts per million. So without knowing base saturation or cation exchange capacity. Cation exchange capacity is 20 to 25. You have the five base saturations that I just handed you. So you have all of those. Oh, that's base saturation. Those five sheets are the base saturations, and I can give you all the micros now. I've kind (laughs) of got that. Oh, my gosh. How about 
Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so, this is making for got, fantastic well, radio ex- here. I, okay. I'll tell you what. Let's I, let's take a break on this. Let's set this aside, and we'll come back to it because I I, I mean. I, I want some cha- some time to look all, all this over, so this enormous stack. Let's go to the next question. All right, so here's something interesting, I guess, for uh, you can't see all the sheets that we're shuffling here, but each soil testing group and, and crop consulting group sends in their soil tests in a different way, and individual uh, sheets that have the variance of certain nutrients, it's hard to look at. When there's a summary sheet that has everything, it's much easier. I got excited because I saw a summary sheet, which I handed to you, but the summary sheet has like five things on it. And so maybe there's a sheet that didn't print with the others. I didn't see it. Okay. Yep. Let's move on so, to the next one and we'll get. Right. We'll come back to this. Let's switch to anhydrous here because there's a lot of folks talking about that. I got this one from Nebraska about uh, applying anhydrous. Unfortunately, the weather is staying warm and the ground temps are kind of hovering around 50 now. We thought they were cooling down, but now it seems like they're 50 and maybe even slightly above. Can we put on anhydrous or since we're getting this warm up uh, in mid-November, do we need to wait? Okay. The key thing is where's the farmer from? Nebraska. Right. Where in Nebraska is the next key thing. Don't know Because that. there's an enormous difference between northeast Nebraska and southwest Nebraska. But let's put it this way. I get that everybody says 50 degrees, temperature's got to be falling in the soil. All that's fine. I have no issue with that. But common sense always needs to play a role. If it's September 30th and you're in Nebraska and all oh, the soil temp's 50, I mean, come on. It's not going to be 50. It's going to be higher than that. And, and by the same token, if it is today's November 10th and you go, wow, we've had a warm up and, you know, things look warm and everything, let's be real. Um, it's going to be changing and it's probably going to be changing soon. So I, I, I'm still going to put it out knowing that realistically in the next week or two, those, those soil temps are going to get real cold. So I'm not too worried about it based on the calendar, but yeah, common sense always has to play a role here. I right, got this one from Seth, and he said you guys talked about lime here earlier. How is lime used in the soil? What does that actually do? Well, lime is calcium carbonate, and when you put it in soil, the purpose is exactly the same as when you take an antacid for your stomach. What happens is the calcium carbonate will bind with the excess hydrogen that is in your soil. That's the reason why you have an acid soil, just like why you'd have an acid stomach. It's excess hydrogen. It binds with the hydrogen, and it's going to form water, carbon dioxide, and then there will be calcium left over. So calcium is good for your soil, carbon dioxide is great for your plants, and so is water. So that's it. All right. Thanks for the question, Seth. We really appreciate that. It is the day to get your questions in. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines will be open at 844 44 ag phd and you can email us radio at agphd.com we'll be right back take your tillage to the next level with the insight universal tillage tool from mcfarland ag with more adjustability and flexibility the insight is the ultimate one pass tillage tool visit mcfarlandag.com to find your closest dealer From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. 
because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year. BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're diving into your emails, radio at agphd.com if you'd like to email us something. And uh, just talking about what's going on on the farm right now. we got Kale with us out in Indiana next. Kale, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you? Hey, guys. Uh, just had a, a little question uh, about some re- residue management. Um, small farmer, old equipment. Um, yesterday I just picked up a, like an old DMI crumbler and I just took it out in the, in the little five acre patch around the house, uh, corn stalks just to knock the rust off of it and thought it did a pretty good job kind of knocking down the corn stalks and it got me thinking, uh, would it, makes sense to roll a bunch of uh, corn stalks to knock them over doesn't necessarily break uh you know split them open per se or or destroy the root balls but maybe knock them over get some more ground contact to uh help them break down for no-till beans next year (laughs) i don't see it i don't see it happen a lot around here nope i don't see a lot of rollers either sure so you're talking about um running over lots of acres then just basically rolling them make some more ground contact hopefully the residue breaks down faster and then it's easier to go through with your no-till beans is that basically what we're at yes okay uh so let's put it this way kale i i i love it when residue breaks down faster that's great i'm also though keeping in mind that I want to try to reduce erosion and I want to try to catch snow where we live. So it depends on kind of what your goals are. We have ground that we will uh, do full-scale tillage because we're super worried it's going to be wet in the spring. We can't get in there if we have any residue or hardly any residue there, and we we fight that too. So it's all across the board here. So I guess where I'm going with this is 
sure, it sounds like a fine idea to me, what you're proposing. To say that's definitely going to be the best plan, it's kind of hard to say because it really depends on how your winter goes and how your spring goes. I, I don't think you're going to regret going ahead and doing that, but I just want you to understand, you know, it's going to break down faster. When you smash stuff down on the ground, you're not going to catch as much snow and and there may be a little bit more erosion. So, you know, there's a little bit of trade-off there, but I, I mean, I, I think it sounds fine. I don't, I don't think I have any big issue with it. Do you have any specific concerns? Um, I guess mostly just is it a waste of diesel fuel? Because <laughs> my my fields are relatively small. Of course, they're all surrounded by woods lines. We don't have a lot of straight line winds like you guys, and sure. there's really no shortage of moisture in the spring. So, how tall are these stalks right now? Uh, I cut them with a uh, uh, 1063, an old 1063 uh, corn head. So, I don't run it real close to the ground. Um, Usually, maybe no taller than two feet, uh, two foot tall. Sure. Okay. And I guess part of the reason why I'm asking is sometimes I see corn stalks standing real tall. If you smash them down in the ground, then you may deal with if they're over the top of the row. When you come along with your planter in the spring, if you don't cut them very well, all of a sudden you're hairpinning some residue. Now, it's not nearly as big a deal in soybeans. Soybeans are more adaptable, and quite frankly, if you lose a few soybeans, it's not the end of the world. If it was corn, I would be more concerned about that. So we, like in going into corn, because we've done a lot of no-till and strip-till corn over the years, going right into corn residue, so corn on corn, no-till or strip-till, and I, I just worry that we are going to have that residue falling over the top and not cutting it properly. So anymore, we've gone to chopping corn heads and cutting maybe a little bit lower to the ground, not super low, but call it 18 inches or something like that. And then we've reduced a lot of that issue. So that would be about my only concern. But again, going into soybeans, it's it's not that big a worry for me. So it's worth a, worth a test and experimentation. Anyway. Absolutely. I, yep. I, I would say this, though. Leave some where you don't do it, right in the same field, so you can see, oh, okay, here's what I see for a difference. Because, again, every area is different. It's hard for me to say this, you know, oh, definitely do it or definitely don't, when I haven't been to your farm, haven't seen the soil, haven't seen the conditions. But I, I, I think you're on the right track. It is going to speed breakdown. I can guarantee you that. It's just the question is, will that be great for you, good for you? Maybe you won't like it. I don't know. You'll just have to see. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Good luck, Kale. All right. Let's head down to Nebraska. We got James on with us right now. How's it going, James? Well, you couldn't ask for a better November, I tell you that for sure. It was an early harvest for us with uh, very poor yields, but can sure get a lot done this November, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. We had a question earlier about it's been too warm almost because a farmer down in Nebraska wanted to be putting nitrogen on. He's like, man, it just won't cool down for us. So I guess there's pros and cons, but there are a lot of things you can do when it's warm and dry. Yes, for sure. Well, um, could I ask you guys a couple questions? Absolutely. Okay, my first question was um, anthracnose um, on soybeans. I 
haven't really it hasn't really been on my radar too much in soybeans, but we had a um I don't know, this year about mid mid August or so it was extremely hot and some of the dryland beans just kinda died. Um, went from green to brown and uh and then um when I was looking at beans um before harvest I noticed all these blotch or blotchy black spots and looked like you know, pretty much every field had anthracnose, and I noticed that there were some um, even irrigated fields that were only making the 50s, um, and it seemed to be tied to variety more than decti stem or white mold. Um, it was like certain varieties um, potentially got hurt by the anthracnose more than others. I don't know. Just wonder if you could speak to that at all, um, your experience with that. Yeah, go ahead on the varieties, Darren, and then I wanted to talk about seed treatment and foliar fungicide. Well, this is one of those things on soybean varieties, a lot of the breeders don't really do ratings on anthracnose, so they'll notice it more field by field, but I don't doubt at all that there's variety differences. It's just the breeders and seed companies, they're turning through these soybean varieties so fast. Most of them, well, like you look at all the extend beans, you're just kind of getting to know the extend beans and then everybody switches to extend flex and and they move so quickly through these. So yeah, there there certainly are some differences in in tolerance. The big thing comes down to weather though. And what did you get for for moisture? What did you get for heat Uh, right in the... Uh, reprodu- early reproductive stages. A lot of times this anthracnose will start showing up about R5. Well, it's too late to do anything then. Once you see the disease, it's already set in. So it's the... And then a, which, lot of, a lot of guys will say, well, I do a fungicide application at R2 when I'm in full bloom, and that's fine. That's going to last you until maybe R3 or R4, but it just doesn't last long enough to provide season-long control. And, and just it's that late-season flare-up. We see the same thing with pod and stem blight, that we have this late-season flare-up that is pretty tough to prevent, unless you're doing late-season yeah, applications. But, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't have to be quite that late. It doesn't have to be all the way at R5, to your point, if it's, a, let's say, it's an R4. So a lot of our beans are spraying twice. And I guess that's my question for you, James. What do you use for a seed treatment, and, and are you using any foliar fungicide? Yeah, um, we're using the uh, Lumigen seed treatment, okay. yep. um, and then and then we had um, for fungicide, uh, we went with um, uh, at R. Let's see, because R two would have been um, a generic quilt, and then at R five or R four, it went with the Preaxor and uh, Tilt. Wow. So, so, so you had seed treatment. I was R three. I was I was R three July first already. Keep in mind too. So. Oh, okay. I got you. So you're saying that your R four treatment would have been much earlier than we might normally see, and so this was a real late uh, anthracnose hitting you in August. All right. I want to talk about this just a little bit more. Hang on with us if you can here through the break, James. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Since when does every upgrade to your planter have to cost $1,000 a row? To me, good engineering means you create a simple tool that works in all conditions. I mean, not every attachment has to be complicated and have sensors all over it. With the 360 wave closing system, we took a simple approach. It's a blade that rolls moist soil over the seed, eliminating the seed slot. A simple mechanical solution that works. Better results, lower cost. 360 wave from 360 Yield Center. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. Right before the break we were talking with James from Nebraska and the situation was he had bad anthracnose in August and he made the comment, okay I used a seed treatment. I sprayed it R2 with a generic quilt. I sprayed it R4 with Preaxer Tilt and James, here's the thing. When you look at ratings on anthracnose for quilt, for preaxer, even for tilt, and for each of the individual components in preaxer and, and quilt, um, just about everything is rated as very good. So Darren and I were talking about this during the break, and Darren's comment was just simply, yeah, but the products don't last that long. They last maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three if you're lucky. And so the point is, if you're going out there, let's call it 4th of July, July 10th, and then we figure three weeks, your, your control's done August 1 at the very latest. 
So I, I know this stinks and this probably isn't the answer you're looking for because you already spent a bunch of money doing seed treatment and two shots of foliar fungicide, but either the timing needs to move back on the, uh, the second pass of foliar fungicide or you'd have to add a third shot of foliar fungicide. I, I'll just tell you about 10 years ago, we had some really high yield farmers doing plots with us on our farm and we were kind of, uh, everybody's doing something a little bit different and I had a couple of the guys that were spray that go no we want to spray it R5 and so we did and those guys had the highest yields so they did R1 R3 and R5 now granted I I was paying the bill on everything so they didn't mind spending more money <laughs> but my point is sometimes these late passes can pay they don't always and that gets to be the challenge with the thing. And I'm sure when you looked at the weather and said, well, boy, this has been a dry year. And am I really going to have late, late season anthracnose? Probably not. And then we get hit with that. Um, one other thing I was going to mention, James, Darren had just brought up to me. He goes, don't forget, velvet leaf and ragweed are hosts for this. There's a lot of velvet leaf and ragweed across Nebraska. And if let's say there's some of that in a cornfield, then it's easy for it to uh, jump a another year. And so that can be a problem. And then the other thing is any reduced till, that's more of an issue with anthracnose. So we aren't seeing lots of different differences, uh, or I should say lots of ratings coming out from any seed provider or anything like that on anthracnose. And there certainly can be varietal differences, but we just don't know exactly what they are often until it's too late. So that's where it really comes back to this fungicide thing. And beyond that, fungicide and tillage and making sure you have your, your fields clean year after year for weeds. Beyond that, I, I don't know what else I would tell you. Would Darren, do you have any other suggestions? No, then there are differences in varieties. And you can certainly take notes on that too, but it, it it's yeah, not but then be in enough a, to overwhelm. In a year or two, you're yeah. going to plant different varieties, yeah. so... But anyway, so yeah, sorry, James, that's about all we can tell you is it would just have to be a little bit later treatment or another treatment of fungicide because uh, you're using good products. It's not like you're using bad products or anything else. It's just the residual will only last so long. So you would move your last path of fungicide into August? I, um, yeah, on our farm, a lot of times that is what we do. So we do spray in early August. So we're typically on our farm, if we're just after general plant health, not white mold. So white mold's different where literally with white mold, we spray at R1, R3, and R5 on those acres. But on, for general plant health, what we're doing is we're spraying at about late R2 to early R3. And then we spray at about R5 in early August. So that, that's what we do on our farm. We raise a lot of beans for seed, and we want to make sure we have great seed quality, and that's, that's really helped us, especially adding that late pass. And like I say, it was probably 10 years ago where we kind of got the idea from a couple other farmers about that because we were getting yield gain, and it's like, okay, well, it's not only the yield gain. It's now we have better seed quality. So anyway, yeah, we've been doing that for a while now. Okay. Okay. Do you have time for another sure. question? Sure. You, you bet. You go ahead. Time? No, um, go ahead. I was going to ask you about rootworm beetles. Yes. Um, so we had, um, I guess we had just enough water to keep us going till V12, and then it started where we weren't getting the rain soon enough for the next, for how much the plant was taking, but I did end up going with a helicopter at VT, and I ran 6.4 ounces by fence, and ran four gallons per acre, and it was 70 degrees or so when it was sprayed and, you know, not overly dry. And about 
seven, eight days later, I go back out there and it's starting to silk. And there's like a lot of places, two to three northern rootworm, northern rootworm beetles per plant. And this is rotated acres. And it's starting to get really hot while it's trying to pollinate and dry. And um, I had about half of the ears that didn't even make an ear. And so I'm just trying to like understand how much of that is due to extreme dryness and heat versus rootworm beetles um, chewing on the silks. And then yeah. the other question is, what do I have to do to kill these dang things? Do I mean, if you know, can we um, go back to uh, oh, what's that um, organophosphate lorisban? I think I saw they're bringing it back now. I thought, but. Yep. You know, what can we do to kill these things? Yeah. Okay. All great questions. Uh, first of all, I would say we feel for you if you were that short on moisture that you didn't have a bunch of ears and stuff. And and I, I get it. You're trying to figure out, okay, was it preventable or was it not? I'll, I'll put it this way. The only time we've seen, the only times that we have seen really, really bad pollination to the point where you don't get an ear uh, because of rootworm beetles, it, you have to be just inundated with rootworm beetles. I mean, sometimes I'll see 20 per plant, and they've eaten the silks all the way down to the husk, and the silks are never out. So that's typically what we see. So if you still had some silks outside that husk, then it should have pollinated. Okay. Now, I, I will say in extreme drought, we what we typically recommend to people is planting multiple hybrids in the same field. Um, we've made a big deal of this training agronomists here in the last couple, three years saying, look, we can extend the pollination window when you're planting multiple varieties in the same field and usually even a slightly different maturity, you know, typically within five days. I'm not saying a lot, but we want an extended pollination window because sometimes we just have problems pollinating when it's super, super dry and hot, which it was this year. So those would be some things that I would consider in the future, planting multiple hybrids in the same field that may help you. I don't think it was the rootworm beetles from what you're describing. Um, and in terms of, okay, if I've got some rootworm beetles that are out there eight days after I've sprayed, just understand bifenthrin, it lasts a while, but it doesn't last forever. Uh, we used some steward this year, which should last a little bit longer. It's just a lot more expensive. So if you want to try some of that, like we did this year, I was happy, but I still am not totally convinced it's worth spending the extra money on the steward versus the bifenthrin, but we're going to continue experimenting going into next year. Uh, otherwise, it may take a later treatment in the year to knock out the rest of the rootworm beetles. But I, I would say this, when you're out there already, you're spraying fungicide and you're, you're killing bugs that are there right then. I mean, that all makes complete sense to me. And that's exactly what we do on our farm. And we've had pretty good luck with that. Um, I would say a lot of people are talking about how high the rootworm pressure has been here lately. So like in our farm where we raise so much continuous corn and there's so much corn in our area, we're doing smart stacks a lot and a lot of smart stacks pro now. We're doing insecticide with the planter and we're bug bombing at least once, um, it, just like you did. So, I mean, we're trying to hit those things three times and uh, yeah, it's, we're trying to slow, slow them down as much as we can. Hmm. When you recommended 
uh, multiple hybrids, would you plant it in strips then, like every, say, every yeah, I just, four rows? Yeah, then, that, that, yeah, that's usually what we do. Um, so just split the planter. Just plant two different varieties in the same field. And they don't necessarily have to be lots different for maturity or anything else, but every hybrid just pollinates a little differently, and it's just giving yourself a better chance at having pollen there when the plant can accept it. Okay, that makes sense. So, yep, just something for you to try. I mean, we've had some guys going three or four varieties in a field. Uh, you know, I don't think you have to go that extreme, but even a couple should help with that pollination. And let's hope we don't have another super hot, super dry year again anytime soon. And then it's really not a big deal. Yeah, we had a lot of things happen on our farm this year that wouldn't normally happen as well. I'm looking forward to this year. Hopefully we'll get a little, little more consistent rain. James, thanks for the call. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that will all help you make more money. On January 16th, we start off with our soils clinic, dedicated to helping you better understand your ground and how to make the most out of your fertilizer investments. We follow that up on January 17th with our corn agronomy workshop, where we review our top tips for expanding profitability in your corn. Then on February 7th, we have our Naturals Workshop, which is devoted to one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. Finally, on February 8th, we're holding our Soybean Agronomy Workshop to go over how to make the most of your soybean crop. As you can probably tell, we have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question or topic you'd like to discuss. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Texas. Got Carl with us right now. How's it going, Carl? Uh, it's all right today, I guess. So you... you should be planting wheat. It's too wet. There you go. How's it come? Has it been coming slow or are you still? Uh, no problem. We're still got a time window here to get it all done. Well, we're still in time window, but it takes so long for it to dry out. That's, that's our problem. It's just barely dry. Well, the high spots were dry uh day before yesterday, but if it was like two inches low in the field, it wouldn't even crust it over. So you can't plant wheat like that. No. And, uh, well, so, honestly, kudos to you for holding out. I was just talking to somebody today that mudded in some crop over in Minnesota this year, and they're like, you know, if I would have given it two more days, it probably would have been good. But, uh, you know, you don't think about it. Sometimes you just think, oh, man, I got to get done, I got to get done. But it, it cost him some serious yield. Oh, we had we had problems with soft dirt. Last year, We it, it was so dry that the ground cracked like five foot deep <clears throat> and started, you know, getting in smaller and smaller pieces. But then on the 23rd of October last year, I planted 600 acres, 650 acres of wheat in two and a half days, the 21st and the 22nd. And then it rained on the 23rd and never quit raining all winter. You couldn't do anything. Never got, most people never got wheat planted. But I jumped out there and got that them two days. But the problem was that it rained so much and the ground was cracked so deep, it filled up with water on all the fields. So this spring, when you go out there with anything, a field cultivator, which we had to use to fill in the washes and stuff, you left tracks and what and ruts, not deep ruts, but left left. You could see the tracks in the corn clear up till past some time with a field when you was up to the field cultivator. Well, then with a planter, you left ruts like four inches deep. Well, with the sprayer, we had to run, we run the sprayer over our corn twice, once with herbicide and once later with Afligard and a little fertilizer. Well, it was still soft and you left deeper ruts. So we had ruts going, tracks going across these fields, but some of them were a foot deep and it wasn't even wet. But it was just so soft from that rain and the ground cracking open. Right. So from last year. So the next thing was when we checked the corn yield where there was tracks in the field, the, the ruts, the corn was 30 to 40 bushel less per acre because of the ruts. Wow. And wow. so it was. I mean, I don't, we checked it, my neighbor checked it, and we just took and run down those rows, made sure those four, six rows were, you know, in the header, and then go over here where there wasn't tracks, and that's what we found. And yet we had a, a pretty good corn crop because of the ground filling up with water because it quit raining like in July, and we never got any rain for... I think it was 50, no, 70-something days. But wow, with your heat? Over oh, my goodness. 
it was over 100 degrees for 54 days in a row. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, that's that's some extreme farming, Carl. Yeah. Hey, I had, so, a, I had a question from something you said earlier, too, um, about the Affligard. I, I'm curious about that. We have not used that product on our farm. We don't have a huge aflatoxin issue up here. Uh, but any of these um, biological-type products, I'm, I'm really curious about. How, how does that one work for you? Have you been really happy with that? We've had to use Affligard for years and years because of the weather. Um, they check the at the elevator. They check every load. Yep. Unless the, you know they come in with a year where there isn't when they're checking there isn't any, then they'll let it go. But some of the corn in this country goes to dairy, and you can't have anything over twenty parts per billion to go to dairy. Yep. And that's like one kernel in a train car load, but. Anyway, if he comes up, then they got to do something different with the corn. And uh, but we have to. And if you don't use it, and you get a bad aflatoxin year, the insurance may or may not pay, because that is a common practice that should be done. And uh, so, anyway, that we used to with the airplane. And now we're doing a ground machine, right? People are doing it when the stuff is waist high. Generally, you would do it before tasseling. But the sooner you get it out there, the more um, resistance you get. But um, so we put it right before tasseling somewhere where the, the corn's what, shoulder high and uh, put that extra shot of nitrogen on there. And, and that really helps. But you will have almost zero alpha toxin if you put alpha guard out. That's awesome. That, well, it's just good to hear when when there's a problem like that. There's no fix to it other than being upfront, treating ahead of time. Uh, so that that's really good. I, I like hearing that. I learn stuff every day here, Carl, and I appreciate you taking the time to to explain that. Well, to us. the thing the thing that really helps if you use Viptera corn, you have no alpha toxin. I mean, you don't have no worm damage. Period. But anything else you don't use, you're going to have damage. And you're going to have mold. And it may or may not be aflatoxin, but you're going to have mold. And it's bad to combine. It's it's a mess. But um, anyway, that's what we got. We just got to do it here. Yeah. And yeah. so the other thing I was going to tell you is our soybeans, we, built, we had enough moisture to build a good plant, a pretty good-sized plant. And we had... 40 bushel beans made if it could have held out. But it got so hot, so long, that our beans, most of the beans died with the leaves on them. They died so fast that the leaves were still on them. And so it was a dusty mess when we went to combine, and there wasn't no beans either. I mean, it went from 30, 40 bushel beans to 20 or less. Because yeah. it's so hot, yeah, it that, couldn't take the moisture. That late season weather makes such a difference on beans. It's it can be your best friend when you catch the two inch rain and some milder temps, and it can also be your worst enemy at times too. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, no yeah. doubt about it. Well, Carl, great was, talking to yeah. you. I always learn stuff. I appreciate that, and and good luck to you. Hopefully, hopefully you're able to get that wheat in here soon. Hope so. All right. Well, best of so, luck to you guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Got Jed with us now up in Michigan. How you doing, Jed? 
doing better than I deserve. Thanks, guys. You bet. You bet. All right. So uh, you got kind of a tight window getting beans off and getting wheat in as well. How do you guys do it? Well, we uh, we tried something new this year, and I, I'm sure I raised a few eyebrows with the neighbors. We had a, a warm spell April 16th, and uh, we planted our initial beans that weekend, which is about a month earlier than, than most of the beans went in. Yep. And it turns out there are, they're the best beans we've got. They got snowed on three times, they got froze out twice, and they still went some of the best beans, for, and they're only a 1.5 maturity bean. Wow. So we want to... We want to build on that next year and, and get some ideas from you guys on, on what we should be doing with these ultra-early planted beans because we like to get wheat in after those. Sure, sure. Yeah, a lot of strategies that, that you can do. I like the early planting idea. I, I don't know if I'd put all my eggs in that basket, but putting some in, I, I'm totally fine with that. I'm probably more comfortable with that than Brian is. I guess we'll find out what he says. But Well, no, I, as long as crop insurance says go, then what, what are you talking about? You know, you know, I we've the last three years we planted like literally the day you could plant according to crop insurance. The challenge, Jed, is I'm assuming you're out in front of crop insurance. Are you doing? Are you talking to crop insurance? You paying the extra money so you get insurance on that or are they uninsured then they are uninsured and and i think at least where we're at we're about the same latitude you are i think crop insurance is behind the the modern trends for uh agronomy for both wheat and soybeans yeah Um, i'll tell you what jed hang on for us through this break if you would and then we'll talk a little bit more about your ultra early planted beans and uh, hopefully we can give you a couple ideas there that may help stay tuned we'll be right back It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. 
Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new Case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Stay in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were talking with Jed from Michigan about ultra-early planted beans. Um, just a couple other things that I would throw out there, Jed. Um, what what I'm thinking about when we're planting real early is just making sure I've got a really good seed treatment out there. Uh, making sure that I'm not cutting the planting population too much because standard cold germination on soybeans is 80%. So in other words, if you plant 150,000, um, you really only can expect 120,000 are going to grow. Hopefully it's better than that, and hopefully the seed treatment helps, but those are just some things I'm thinking about. I also think an awful lot about tile and having good drainage because our biggest challenge for planting real early is always wet soils. I don't know how it is for you, but that's just one of the things we think about. And then beyond that, I just want to make sure that I have ample and balanced fertility. But to go along with that, when we talk about delaying maturity, premature death used to kill a lot of our beans and corn. And now that we have done a better job on fertility, uh, sometimes we have to back off on the maturity that we're planting. So I would keep that in mind as you do a better job with fertility and keep the plant healthier and alive longer. If you want to finish by a certain date, you might have to drop that 1.5 to a 1.3 or a 1.4, something like that. Just something to think about. And then the last thing I'll throw out is strabilurin fungicides like Headline, Quadris, Avito, Gem. They will keep the plant greener longer because they will, the plant will have less ethylene production after you use those fungicides. So a lot of people complain about green stems in the fall. So if you want to avoid that, use something that does not have a strobilurin. So for example, Lacento, that's got an SDHI and a Trizol. We love Lacento, it's fantastic on diseases, but since it doesn't have the strobe, we don't have the green stems in the fall. So those would be my quick tips for you, just things for you to think about. No, appreciate it. That makes good sense. And uh, before you let me go, I want to say just make sure that uh, we uh, thank all the farmer veterans out there. I know you got a few of us listening to you, so Veterans Day coming up, and thank them for their service. Yeah, and you know, when you look at 
who in the United States is serving in the military? It is a higher percentage of rural Americans than urban Americans. Uh, so y- there are many who have been on the farm and then served in the military. So, yes, I, I mean, regardless of where you grew up, who you are, what you did, how long you served, I mean, we're just super thankful because you look around the world and all the problems around the world, if it wasn't for our veterans and everyone who served, uh, we would not be where we are today. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jed. Good luck over there. Thank you. You bet. Let's head over to Minnesota. Got Terry on with us right now. How's it going, Terry? Very good. It's finally uh, wrapping up with harvest here. We're doing our fall tillage and just putting 2023 behind us. Crazy year. Yeah, we get we get this really nice weather here in November too. I thought when we got the snow and the cold temps, I thought, well, it's over. But it really wasn't over. We're getting another couple of weeks here to do more stuff. Uh, are you going to keep working every day out there? You just about got it wrapped up outside. No, we've got quite a bit to do. So we're doing some more stuff than what we had planned on. I was hoping to do a bunch of lime spreading at this fall, but I got an email like three days ago saying the sugar beet uh, place that we get lime from, it's all sticky and gooey, so we don't have the equipment to handle that stuff. So that's not going to happen this year. But luckily I'm not going to be freezing my fingers next week. I'm winterizing all my irrigation and just kind of getting that stuff done. But you know, we're just kind of taking it easy, getting, we're not working crazy 24 hour days, just, you know, solid, get our fall field work done and now the harvest is over. So I'm, I'm looking forward for it to be wrapped up though, but it's, it's good. You know, you bet, you bet. Talk to me about your year then. Did you guys get enough moisture where you're at or what was it like? Well, yes and no. So we started out planting in spring, like early May. We got eight to 10 inches of rain. So we were on hold for three weeks. We didn't turn a wheel. We finally got going like the 20th of May, got all of our corn planted, kind of ran up against the prevent plant insurance date. So took that as an opportunity to prevent plant about 100 acres. We tiled it this summer, put a lift station in. Um, So fixing a problem that we've been dealing with for years, right, like decades, should have been fixed long, long ago. So we, we fixed and addressed that. Then this, as the summer went on, we kind of got some timely rain, but really missed a lot. So the heavy ground was okay, but my irrigation, I probably pumped 12, 15 inches of water throughout the summer, which is more than what I typically have to do for this area. Yeah. You know, so as a result, the yields are really solid. You know, some hit or miss, hybrid stress. You know, we had a few hybrids that kind of fell on their face, but overall, you know, we don't plant all one or two hybrids. We really try to diversify and spread our risks. So it didn't take us out of the game, and in the end, we had a really solid yield. We never gave up on the crop. Where a lot of the stuff in this area looked really tough from all that spring rain. Anybody who had nitrogen down up front before planting, they were toast. We're we're all spoon feeding it. We're putting out the planter. We're wide dropping. That paid huge this year. Just that that time and management was a was a big deal. You know, for it, was us, a, you know? it was a pretty sunny year when we had all these days where it didn't rain enough. Did you have too much smoke, or how did that turn out over in your part of Minnesota? No, so we were lucky. Uh, we've had way more smoke in past years. We had a few days, maybe a week, that it was kind of crummy, but generally it wasn't bad at all. Um, you know, the late plant is our beans went in basically after June 1st. That was our biggest yield limiting factor on them. We still did solid, but not the what we could have achieved. And, and the crazy thing is it was a rain there. 
I swear I had bean counts, you know, the seed counts for 80 bushel beans. They were just small little BBs. We, we missed those late summer rains that just would have put us over the edge. So, you know, we're in the 55 to 60, 65, depending on the field. We had the potential there, just missed out on Mother Nature playing ball with us. So You're exa- you're exactly in the end, right. it was a that- good year. That, you know, yeah, that late rain. Oh man, plumps those beans up, and I, I know it. That's the that's the thing too that we've noticed a lot of times. We didn't necessarily have more pods, didn't necessarily have more beans, but some years they're really big and really heavy, and that that pays yep. quite well. Yep, that, that exactly it was so frustrating rolling the combine, going, man, we, the potential is here. It just didn't happen. But corn yields in, in the end, at least for me, were really solid. That's not the, the theme in my area. Just like I said, all that rain, nitrogen loss. Guys, I think we're looking at the market and just didn't come back and spend more money on it. And I, I think, you know, that if anything, that's the theme. Never give up on your crop. Feed your crop. Tend to your crop for what it needs, regardless of what you've done. And if anything, this is the year that tells you any of that micro micromanaging micromanaging and risk management on growing a crop is the number one thing without a doubt you you know hey terry great tips uh we got three minutes left i got one more caller to get to so i better run but great talking to you and good luck to you hopefully you have another great week very good thanks guys take care you bet got chuck down in missouri with us how you doing chuck i'm doing great man how are you we're doing well. We're getting sixty degree weather up here next week. We're gonna be we're gonna be sitting pretty. That's that's awesome. We get a lot of field prep done. Next spring's gonna be a dream. Yeah, that's right. That's the way that's the way it is down here in Missouri. It's uh, deer season opens this weekend, so us deer hunters aren't very happy about the warm weather. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's sure it's sure making for a, a nice finish up to harvest and, and fall tillage for sure. You bet. What's the rain situation now in your part of Missouri? We're dry. Um, um, listening to your other caller there, I mean, uh, we uh, we caught some rains in the summer that that really the corn yields have surprised us, but we are terribly dry right now. I mean, we uh, we had an inch inch and three tenths of rain here. I don't know a couple of weeks ago, and and day after we got it, my dad was out working ground with the turbo till. Um, I mean, it just it's soaking in that quick. Yeah, we were just amazed too. We're putting on uh, some dairy manure, and it's you know ten thousand gallons of liquid going on per acre, and it just disappears so fast. The ground is so dry. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. something else. I mean, it's it's nice. We we've got some moisture here. Don't get me wrong, um, but uh, so the ground isn't working too bad. But but uh, you know it, it's it's going to disappear really quick. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Chuck, uh, we're up against the end of the show, but I appreciate the call today. Good luck to you guys with deer season opening up. I know that competes for the time with some of the farming things that have to go on too, but you know what? That's life. That's the way it goes. Sometimes you get lots of good options. We we got about 150 acres of corn to shell. It's all got to go to the local co-op and they're full and don't expect to train until Sunday. So, uh, uh, I'm not complaining. (laughs) That's right. Maybe that was planned by somebody at the co-op. I don't know. There you go. (laughs) Well, Chuck, thank you so much. Really appreciate hearing from you. You bet. Have a great day. You too. I know we said it earlier, but thanks to all the veterans. With Veterans Day this week, we're we're just uh, really thankful for all the opportunities we have and the freedoms that we have in this country to be able to do what we want, to be able to talk farming, to be able to make our own decisions on the farms, to try to improve our land and improve the lives of our families and our communities. Uh, What a great... What a great service they've done for all of us. So thanks to everyone who's a veteran. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. 
Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.